Well, just about 10 days later, it kind of feels like it's all just over, doesn't it? I'm talking about Christmas, this holiday, this festival in the church that we spend so much time preparing for and anticipating and building up to. And then all of a sudden the celebration comes and it's over in almost a flash. Right, because now the presents are opened and the dinners are had and family is gone and maybe some of you are happy that family is gone because now you have a peaceful house once again. Right, we had a beautiful Christmas Eve service here at Huntersville Lutheran. We joined our voices to praise God through these beautiful carols and we heard the Christmas gospel once again. But now, about nine days later, it just kind of feels like it's over. And we spend so much time building up to and anticipating and preparing for this Christmas celebration, but how much time do we spend actually pondering Christmas once it's passed? Well, the church of history has set aside a time to do just that. I mean, that's the reason why behind me the Christmas tree is still up and the banners are white and have the manger scene on them. It's because right now we're in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas. And these aren't days that you receive an increasingly larger number of gifts every single day. These are days that for centuries have been set aside to do what I'm talking about, to ponder the real point and meaning of Christmas for more than just a day. And this is a really important point for us as Christians, because what happens when you forget to ponder? When you forget to ponder and dwell on the miracle and the mystery of Christmas, these things that are extraordinary, these things that are miracles, well, they start to become mundane. And then once they become mundane, these things of Christmas can become this far-off and forgotten, faded memory, right? And as I sat down to study this text from Luke chapter 2 this week in preparation to write this sermon, I, I began to wonder if that's what happened to Mary. Mary was this woman who had extraordinary things happen to her, didn't she? One of God's chief angels showed up and said, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. And then she, then she had this miraculous conception and birth and shepherds came who saw the glory of the Lord and heard a chorus of angels praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And they came and, and worshiped the newborn king and told Mary all about this. And even eight days after Jesus was born, when, when Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, this old prophet, this old man who had been in the temple his entire life, came up to Mary and said, now I can die in peace because my eyes have seen the salvation of my God. And what did Mary do with all of this? She took all of it and she treasured it and she pondered it in her heart. But I wonder if the further she got was removed from all of the miraculous happenings at first Christmas, if she began to ponder less and less. And I also wonder if her reason for stopping pondering this miracle that happened at the first Christmas was that, that all of these extraordinary things were followed by, well, what was a very ordinary childhood. So we don't know much about Jesus' childhood. In fact, the Gospels, they fast forward us from when Jesus was eight days old to the time he was 12 years old. We don't know what happens in between, but we do know this about Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews talks about this, that Jesus was fully human. He was 100% man, so that means that he grew up just like you and I did, just like your children did. That means that you can picture Mary holding out her hands as toddler Jesus is beginning to take his first steps. It means that as Jesus got a little bit older, he would go out into the streets of Nazareth with his stepbrothers and the other boys in Nazareth and roughhouse. You can picture Jesus tripping and falling like I did so many times as a kid and scraping your knees and your hands and 
him crying and having to be wrapped in his mother's arms, his mother wiping the blood and the dirt off his hands and knees and, and hugging him and giving him a kiss and saying, everything's going to be all right. Jesus, 100% man, fully human, grew up just like we did. But I have to wonder what it was like to actually grow up in the house with Jesus as a sibling. Because we're also told that Jesus wasn't just 100% true man, he was 100% true God. And when you are 100% true God, that means you are perfect. Now, I grew up in a household with three boys, and it always seemed like there were two of us who were in trouble, and the other one got off scot-free. He was never innocent, never, but he somehow evaded trouble. This was my brother, Eli. He never seemed to get in trouble. I was always in trouble. But, and, and so this was a sinful household. Now, imagine what happens when you have the perfect son of God as one of your stepbrothers. You have everyone else getting in trouble all the time, being scolded, being put in timeout, being yelled at for their disobedience, and then you have Jesus was absolutely perfect the entire time. Had to be an interesting household to grow up in. We don't know a whole lot about Jesus' childhood, but we do have this soul account from Luke chapter 2 that tells us this small event about the time Jesus was 12 years old. His parents had packed up Jesus and the rest of his family, and they headed to Jerusalem from Nazareth on foot. Now, to give you a little context for how long that journey was, that'd be like you and me walking from Greensboro from here on foot, right, about 90-some miles. And the whole reason that they were going there was to celebrate this feast or this festival called the Passover. This was one of the very special uh, festivals that God had appointed for his people to celebrate in their life of worship. And it was the, the yearly remembrance of what God performed for them on their last night in Egypt. Moses, through God, or God through Moses, I should say, instructed the Israelites while they were in Egypt that they were to, each family was to take a year-old lamb without blemish or defect, and they were to slaughter it. And they were to paint their doorposts red with the blood of the lamb. And that night when God sent that last plague, the plague of the firstborn son, God would pass over those doors upon which the blood of the lamb was painted. So every year that God's people celebrated the Passover, it was a remembrance of how God passed over them and saved them from Egypt. So Mary and Joseph, as good Jewish people, they hiked their family all the way to Jerusalem and they celebrated the Passover and when the celebration was done, they packed up their family and they headed back to Nazareth. But Jesus had other plans, didn't he? Twelve-year-old Jesus decided that he was going to stay in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. He decided not to tell his parents. And so the, the Jesus, or Mary and Joseph, they get a ways away from Jerusalem without even realizing Jesus isn't there. You've got to understand that when people traveled to these festivals, these feasts in Jerusalem, it wasn't like they were just traveling alone. So it wasn't just Mary and Joseph and his stepbrothers and Jesus who were traveling. They would usually travel in a large caravan from whatever town they came from. And the men would be in the back and the women in the front and all of the children running around in between. So it's not much of a surprise that, we, that they don't realize that Jesus isn't there with them. But then when they finally do start to search for him, the panic sets in. You can feel that pit of panic that Mary feels. If you ever took a, one of your kids grocery shopping, ever, and they, you grab something and go to put it in the cart, and all of a sudden you turn around and they're not there, you frantically start to search for them until you look down the aisle and they're grabbing a box of Rice Krispie treats off the shelf that they're going to beg you to buy. At least that's what I did for my mom when I disappeared in the grocery store. But there, Mary and Joseph's search, it lasted a whole lot longer than just 30 seconds. It was days long. They searched for Jesus among the family and they couldn't find him. Then they had to hike a one day back to Jerusalem and then they searched a whole another day in Jerusalem itself until they found him. 
And the place where they found them was quite surprising. He was in the temple. And he wasn't a, your typical 12-year-old who was running around wreaking havoc like 12-year-olds do. He was sitting at the feet of rabbis, the expert teachers. And he wasn't just listening to them. He was questioning them. He was answering their questions. And everybody who listened was absolutely astonished. Because what 12-year-old has a depth of knowledge like that? What 12-year-old has such insight that he can ask the most learned men in the temple these questions and give them such amazing answers? It wasn't just the people around who were astonished. It was Mary was astonished too, but I think astonished for a very different reason. Because she comes up to Jesus and she says, Child, why have you treated us like this? Don't you know that your father and I have been anxiously searching for you? And it's that statement where you hear it. You see, Mary had forgotten, and she had stopped pondering. She had stopped pondering what had happened all those years ago. I mean, it had been 13 years since Gabriel showed up, one of God's archangels, and announced the birth of the Savior. It had been about 10 years since the Magi showed up, being guided by that star that rose in the eastern sky to worship this newborn king. It had been about 12 years since that prophet Simeon said, In peace, Lord, I can now die because I have seen your salvation. The further she was removed from that first Christmas, she stopped pondering less and less. And the things that were once absolutely extraordinary just became ordinary and mundane. And this can so easily happen to to you and me, too, sometimes without us even realizing it. I was looking at our Christmas tree this morning as I was memorizing my sermon, and I thought, it's going to be really nice to reclaim this corner of the living room to take down all of the ornaments and the lights and pack them up in boxes. I talked to some of you this morning, and you you have already done that, already reclaimed that space in your living room. But when we do that, when we pack up the lights and the ornaments and put everything up in the attic, do we pack up the real meaning of Christmas, too? When we pack up that manger scene, do we, does the real manger leave our heart? When all of the gifts have been opened and the presents placed on shelves and their newness wears off, does the real gift in Bethlehem become just as meaningless as those things that we place in our house? You see, when you stop pondering, when you stop pondering the real meaning of Christmas, well, things that were once extraordinary to our faith and to our life become things that are just ordinary and mundane. And this is This is exactly what happens to Mary. She simply stopped pondering. And when she does, Jesus takes her to task. Do you remember what he says? Why were you searching for me? Don't you know that I needed to be going about my father's work? Kind of hurts Mary, I think. You can feel the the guilt and the sadness well up in her heart because she was treating Jesus like the 12-year-old son of Joseph and not the eternal son of God. The same thing happens to us when we stop pondering. We think of Jesus no more as no more than, well, this person that we can just give instructions to about what he's going to be all about in our lives. When we stop pondering Christmas, we tell Jesus that he's allotted only this hour on a Sunday morning and no more. There's no more time for you, Jesus. When we stop pondering, we, well, we try to shush Jesus when he's getting our attention and trying to call us out on our sins. When we stop pondering Christmas, when we start to think that, that we can tell Jesus 
who he's going to be for us and what he's going to do for us and how he's going to act for us so that we can have what we want. When you stop pondering Christmas, you, real, you lose the real meaning of who Jesus is and what Jesus came into this world to do, which is exactly what he was, what, what, uh, he was pointing out to his mother. And those words that he said to his mother, don't you know that I have to be going about my father's work? Those are the same words that he speaks to us and he takes us to task because he says, I am not just some 12-year-old boy being raised by a carpenter in Nazareth. I may be 12 at this point, but I'm also the savior of the world. I'm the king who is above every king. I'm the true prophet who is the word of God. I am the priest who will offer my life as the sacrifice for your sins. I was there in the beginning. There is nothing that exists in this world that I did not create. There is not a star in the sky that I did not place there. There is not a hair that falls from your heads that I do not command to fall. I may look like a 12-year-old boy, but I am far more than that. I am your Savior. And you feel that, don't you? Because those words are meant for us when we stop pondering who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Those words are meant for us when you stop pondering the real meaning of Christmas. And we're told that Mary, she didn't really know what Jesus was talking about when he said, I have to be going about my father's work. But that didn't mean those words weren't easy to hear, just like they're not easy for us to hear. Because those words contain a heavy dose of law for us, a law that points, points us to the fact that we too often forget to ponder what Christmas actually means. But those words also contain beautiful gospel for sinners like you and me. Because in those words, Jesus tells us what his entire life was going to be about. And not just what his life was going to be about, but what it was necessary for it to be about. He says to his mother and to us, don't you know that it is necessary for me to be in my father's house going about my father's work? His father's work was the whole reason that he came down that first Christmas taking on flesh and blood to be your savior. His father's work was living a perfect life in your place, fulfilling all of the letters of the law that you and I failed to keep. His father's work was allowing himself to be handed over to persecution and ridicule. His father's work was allowing his, his hands and his feet to be nailed to a cross and to hang on that cross bloodied and bruised and beaten. His father's work was suffering under the complete wrath of God for the sins of the world and to die in your place so that you would not have to die eternally. His father's work was being raised to new life to assure you that your sins are forgiven and that eternal life is yours. This, this is what Christmas points us to. This is why God calls us to ponder Christmas. And we're told that, that Mary didn't really understand all of these things, but do you know what she did? To the very end of the reading for today, she treasured them up and she pondered them in her heart just like she did that first Christmas. Now you and I, we, we don't understand all of the miracles of Christmas, right? But does that mean we should stop pondering them? We don't understand how the virgin birth works, but we believe it. We can't understand and begin to grasp the magnitude of the, the arrow pointing down love that your God has for you. This love that is unasked and unearned and undeserved, a, a love that is given to you not because of who you are and what you do and what you have to offer God or how well you live this life, but a love that is given to you because that's who God is and a love that is given to you because of what God has done for you through his son. We can't begin to grasp the magnitude of that love, but we still cling to it daily. 
Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that we shouldn't stop and ponder it. In fact, I would make an argument that, that says we should ponder those things more and more. As my prayer for you as we, as we close out these 12 days of Christmas today, it's my prayer that you never stop pondering. That you never stop pondering the miracle and the mystery of what Christmas is. The miracle and the mystery of God taking on flesh and blood. I pray you never stop pondering that on that night, God brought this, your Savior into this world so that he could live for you and die for you and rise for you. I pray like Mary, you treasure up all these things and ponder them in your heart on a daily basis. Keep pondering Christmas past because it's on that first Christmas that God began to pave your path to heaven. God grant it. Amen.